When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 326 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. Welcome to Boundaries Week. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited for Boundaries Week. On today's show, we are discussing exactly how to establish and maintain gifting boundaries with our loved ones during the holidays, during birthdays, during all the time, every day of the year. On Thursday, we are continuing with Boundary Week by talking about healthy personal boundaries. How do we determine our own boundaries and how do we boldly stick with them, stick by them, don't let them crumble in the face of pushback? That's Thursday. So today we're talking about gifting boundaries and I am speaking with Whitney Lee Morris. Whitney is a small space living consultant. She is also the blogger, the brains behind the blog, tinycanalcottage.com, which is uber popular, by the way, if you've never checked it out. Whitney, I am so thrilled to talk to you about gifting boundaries today. How are you? Likewise, I'm great. I'm great. It's quiet for once, so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Thank you for having me on. Yes, we take those minutes of quiet whenever they come and we hold on to them tight. Tell my listeners who you are, what you do. Give us all the details. My name is Whitney Lee Morris, and I'm a small space consultant, which is very niche and also very big at the same time. But um, I'm an author and uh, a blogger, and I work with individuals and decor and design magazines and news outlets to help people figure out ways in which they can live in and with a smaller footprint. So in a smaller space, you know, with less waste, um, more comfortably, more stylishly, in tricky spaces, small spaces, you name it. And I uh, operate this business out of a small space where I live with my husband and our two children and our two rescue beagles. Well, I must say your website has the most amazing photos of your various small space living spaces. Some I believe you've renovated in the past. I mean, it makes me want to live smaller. (laughs) It looks so glorious and glamorous. We tend to think that the glamour lies in bigger. Bigger is better, but not from what I've seen in your work. So thank you for all you're doing to bring us back down to less is more living. I appreciate that. If you're living in a small space, I can definitely assume then that uh, you have to be quite mindful of what's coming in. And therein lies what we're talking about today. We are talking about gifting boundaries. 
I know that you have set some with your loved ones in your life for your children. So let's start with the why. Why was it important for you to establish gifting boundaries? Well, it's multi-pronged, isn't it? You know, one thing was that uh, I didn't become a parent until I was in my mid-30s. And I spent so long hearing peers and friends and colleagues say how their houses felt overrun by bright plastic things and how stressful that is and how weekends were devoted not to hanging out with their families as much as just kind of managing the, the, the clutter um, that seemed to come with having kids. And yet the clutter didn't really have directly anything to do with the kids. Like what's important is the time spent. What's important is, you know, yeah, other things. So I, I heard that a lot and was wary going into it of just excess. Uh, so one reason of setting, but first setting boundaries was as I didn't want to go down that route simply because people who I respected and trusted said how slippery of a slope that route was. And another thing is, of course, for the um, the, for the environmental toll it takes, uh, especially to because so many gifts and kids things in particular, they have a a shelf life, so to speak, like so many things, even though it's great to get vintage and, and pre-loved items, so many things have a shelf life, right? Where they are recalled, they have turned out to have materials that then become known to be d- dangerous, you know? So I didn't want to just have products that could only be enjoyed for six months at a time that then were going to end up in a landfill. So it was very important for me and for my husband to set boundaries from the onset for that. And then of course, being in a small space, you don't have a lot of place to put to put things. <laughs> so there's that. Right. I feel as though managing stuff becomes infinitely harder once the stuff has already been granted admittance into the home, right? The kids have established belonging over the item. Now you are spending your free time finding places to store the item, putting away the item, cleaning the item, maintaining the item, keeping it pristine. And so it makes much more sense to me personally if we take that energy and instead put it on the front end. So put that energy towards preventing that stuff from ever entering the home to begin with. But then comes the how. (laughs) Like, how do you do it? How did you do it? How did you verbalize your wants, wishes, needs, desires for gift boundaries with the people in your life who would be gifting to you and your children? Right. So first and foremost, you hit the nail right on the head. And I like to think of bring anything into the house, like inviting a vampire into the house, right? The story is that it can be on your doorstep, but it can't come in unless you invite it in, right? That's the thing. And so that's kind of how I feel about bringing anything into the home. You have to deliberately invite it in, you know? And so what I did was we told our loved ones the greatest gift, and this isn't just about kids. I'll go, you know, I, I don't mean to make it just about kids because there are all sorts of, um, you know, family structures and individuals out there. And so, but what we said with respect to gifting with the kids is the best gift that you can give to our kids is a planet on which they can continue to live and live in a healthy capacity. And buying a bunch of stuff that was unethically produced that'll sit on the planet till the end of the time is not ultimately you're not giving them a gift it's doing them a disservice and of course it's on a collective scale I don't think we are not saving the planet just in our household but if we could look at that on a bigger scale 
And the same thing applies to gifting in general, not just with kids. So, you know, we did have a bit of a cheat in the sense that everybody knew that we lived in a tiny space and we used to say, please don't give us anything we can't fit into our house because that was just kind of the easiest and it didn't seem like an insult. It was just a really good, easy card to pull, right? We just don't want it in the house. But I think that that language can definitely be reworked to work in any instance. And really, if you do play the environmental card, because it is a card that affects us all, people might not understand, but they do seem to hear it. And they might ask more questions, but that's a good, that's an opening to a more important conversation. You know, so really, we don't want any of these things. We have too much stuff that's taking over our lives. We don't want our lives to be spent managing stuff. And we don't want our lives to be spent worrying all the more about the planet because of something we're doing to contribute to the destruction of it. So please, can we maybe spend time together? Can we maybe go out to dinner instead? Can we maybe share a bottle of wine together or sparkling water together? Can we just take a walk? All we want is to be with you. We don't need things from you. Leading with the climate crisis is intriguing to me, primarily because in my life, the grandparents, let's say, the older relatives, they don't necessarily know much about it. They aren't necessarily concerned about it. Do you have any tips for listeners who want to lead with the climate problem, and it's a gigantic one, but don't know how to navigate it with the older generations? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And we certainly have received our share of uh, eye rolls and, uh, and whatnot. But I do think it, like I mentioned, I do think it is a gateway into a conversation. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. For me, it's a great opportunity to say, look, you might not agree with me, or maybe you aren't coming at this with the same um, information that I am. Here's some books that I love. And I recommend books from authors from marginalized communities, maybe voices that other people haven't heard, voices that need to be heard when it comes to this topic. So, you know, for me, I welcome that conversation, albeit it's frequently an awkward one, but what isn't an awkward conversation right now? Everything turns into an awkward conversation these days. Everything does, especially with between generations. So, you know, this is something I, I welcome. And the other thing too, is if you're dealing with people who don't quite understand it or don't quite grasp it, it's also a really great opportunity to bring it to the forefront of their minds as it pertains to younger generations. So, okay, you're voting with XYZ in mind, um, but have you ever thought about the people who are going to be in charge once you're not here and, and your grandchildren are? You know, have you thought about what they're dealing with? And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough conversation to navigate depending on who you're speaking with, but it can also be a really great opportunity. And I have had several of those conversations in which people, like I said, roll their eyes or maybe scoff or perhaps say something behind their back, but then it usually circles back, whether it's in a year, whether it's in six months, whether it's in two years, usually it comes back again and it's, something has stuck. Something has stuck. Yeah. You mentioned you know, how big conversations often get awkward. And I would say 100%, if we're not getting awkward when we're talking about specifically the climate crisis, then it's time that we get comfortable with getting awkward. The time is now. And so when we're talking about establishing gifting boundaries, perhaps that's an opportunity to, yeah, talk about presence around the holidays, but more specifically to talk about the larger issues that 
we are as a human race <laughs> staring down. And so, yeah, flipping the script instead of dreading this conversation, thinking, oh, this is going to be awkward, say, oh, this is a great opportunity to help inform people who may not be in the climate movement. Perhaps it's an opportunity to bring people in. I do want to say, however, I have a relative <laughs> in my family. The climate argument, the excess waste argument, it falls on deaf ears. It just doesn't work. And so my strategy with this person has pivoted. I've pivoted. And I've instead, instead of making it about the lofty climate crisis and the problems that the planet is facing, I've brought it down closer to something within reach for this person. And so I talk about uh, I make it about the gifter, right? Like, oh, well, if you give less gifts, if you just give perhaps a book and an experience that will save you significant money, I know you have a lot of people to give to, you're on a fixed income. <laughs> and I do think that when we personalize and like self-center the boundary, it can sometimes be better received. Have you experienced that at all? Oh, absolutely. And I think I think yeah, pivoting is key. And I think too that providing an alternative that you know or believe will hopefully speak to that person. You know, something that they can get behind. That is something that is like mutually acceptable. Um so you know, if it is someone who is generally stressed, someone you talk to all the time, or you talk to and they're always stressed, it's like, you've got all, you must have so many people on your list, You're, but you're so good at, you know, making scones. Like, have you ever thought of just making scones and like parsing them? Doing something like that, turning it into flattery, turning it into somebody's strength. And I don't mean it in a manipulative way. It's very genuine. It's just, you know, taking the time to figure that out, right? And there's someone in our lives who really... It's just her love language is gifting. Her love, and I know that that's very common with people. Um, her love language is gifting, and so we basically set up a verbal registry where we're like, "Okay, we know you want to do this. Would you? Would it be exciting for you to gift tickets to such and such and go with the kids to such and such? Or how do you feel about if one day you do X Y Z with kids? Or and just kind of giving a choose your own adventure, or you know, like our son really is into plants, like. It's kind of expensive, but like, could you give them a, like a six month um, uh, membership to the botanical gardens? Like, what do you think about that? You know, depending on who you're, depending on who you're talking to. And then it sounds almost like you've granted this person like a special little nugget just for them. And that's a little bit more creative work on our end of things, but it, I think it works out for the better because then you're not resentful of something that someone has handed down. They're not resentful of you thinking that you don't want anything that they've come up with, but there's always going to be people who don't listen no matter what. I'm going to ask you about those people in a minute, but you just gave me a great uh, piece of advice, a great suggestion, which is perhaps with the people in our lives where leading with climate change isn't working, perhaps we lead instead with why not you take your passions and your personal gifts, like your like what you're good at, and you impart those passion and those gifts on the kids in the family through an experience. So if you're great at making scones, why don't you like 
have a scone party and we all attend. Or if you just love fine art, maybe you get museum passes, that opportunities there are endless. And I think that if it's phrased the right way, everybody can leave happy. The gifter leaves happy because they are empowered to share their love of X, Y, and Z. The children are happy because they're getting wonderful time with their loved ones. You know, what's better than time with our loved ones at the end of the day? And then you and me, the parents, are ecstatic because we don't have plastic junk in our home. So I'm, I'm going to think about that. Let's circle back to the people who don't listen. What do you do? What do you say to the people who just are inevitably going to ignore our wishes? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, there just needs to be an acknowledgement of the privilege of this problem, right? Like getting gifts that you don't want to get when there are people who have nothing or very little. And so like, I just feel like there needs to be a moment of acknowledging the privilege of this before I go on. But for me, I just try to find a very practical home that I can direct these gifts to. And the home, I mean, I mean, a nonprofit, an individual, a community organization, there's always somebody who could use some something, you know, there's always somebody. And it just takes some time to find those people, calling them in advance to make sure that they do need it. Because like one of the worst things I feel like we can do is think we're being all benevolent and take something shiny and new to a place where it's just going to create more labor for the people running that place to sift through and they need to find a home for it if it doesn't work for them. So calling in advance saying, hey, I got a brand new whatever. I got a brand new, um, there was one year that we got a bunch of toy parking garages. Like what am I going to do with six toy parking garages in a tiny house? Calling around and finding nonprofits who had individuals that had young children and they couldn't buy toys for their kids. Like making sure that those items really have a home and then gifting those items onward. And of course, there's always the risk. I hear so many people, I have a lot of clients who have a hard time letting go of like sentimental items. They might not be sentimental to them, but they know that they feel like it was sentimental from the gift giver. And so they're reluctant to let that item go or those items go. And I always say, look, if that person comes back to your house and is like, where's that thing I gave you? Then that's probably a relationship that needs some work. (laughs) You know, like maybe that shouldn't be our first priority. Maybe the first priority should be like, really, you gave us this gift to use in a way that would be beneficial to us. And the thing that was most beneficial to us was to give it to this community resource that our child enjoys along with many other children who enjoy it or, you know, whatever the case may be. Well, Whitney, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, I would love your best tips for finding the right places for our unneeded, unwanted gifts. That's where we're going to go after a quick word from this week's sponsor. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection 
They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we are back. I am speaking with Whitney Lee Morris. We are talking all things gifting boundaries. And Whitney, before the break, you were talking about how for the people who simply ignore your wishes, you are in the habit, the good habit of finding the best places to donate your unwanted gifts. Why donate instead of return? Well, there, I guess it depends on your needs in your household, right? But there, returns are, from my understanding at least, pretty heavy on the environment as well and also take a great deal of, of time. And, you know, not to say rehousing a gift doesn't take time, but it's far more rewarding, I think, than standing in line at a big box retailer. So instead of returning, Google becomes my best friend and I look for local nonprofits or organizations. Usually most of these organizations will have on their website the kind of things that they need. And then I wait to business hours and I call them because they get too many emails or if they get an email, there's, it's usually, you know, lots of nonprofits are understaffed. So just calling them. So it's a real quick, easy response for them and saying, Hey, I have this item I saw on your website that perhaps you could use it, but I wanted to confirm before dropping it off. So with a little bit of light Googling, you can find nonprofits near you and see on most of their websites what they need. And to me, that's far that's a far better use of 15 minutes than driving across town to stand in line at, at you know, some, uh, some chain store. <laughs> well, circling back to your point regarding the fact that returns aren't all that eco-friendly. I did an episode on that, listeners. I'll add it into the show notes. But... I'm curious, I think a lot of my listeners are probably in the habit of using their local buy nothing group to unload unwanted items. Do you have any thoughts for them on taking the extra step to Google the right nonprofit, the right charity? How much extra work is that? How much extra time is that? Tell me all of that. 
Well, I, I'm a fan of a buy nothing group, so I, I don't mean to say not to do that. But I think it probably takes just about the same amount of time in the sense that, you know, you're not, you're not taking a picture of the item or listing the item or posting, you know, just literally doing a Google search about nonprofits near me, you know, it couldn't be easier. Or even, you know, if there's a certain subject that you were interested in, certain shelters, things like that, just searching for those. Uh, and again, that takes 30 seconds on Google. <laughs> like that's really, it's a, it's a light lift. And then checking out their, uh, usually it's a donation page or, you know, how to get involved page. Usually there's very set lingo that you'll see repeated throughout nonprofit websites. Um, involved is a big one, how to get involved. Checking it out and then calling them. And you know what? If you can't find something on a website, it also doesn't hurt to just call and say, I'm wondering if you have a house for the, or a, a need for this. And if not, do you know any other nonprofits that might need it? So like, for example, our child was, our second child was born premature. Well, she wasn't premature, but she was very tiny. And she had, we had to get all these clothes for her that we didn't have with our first kid. So we didn't have the, you know, hand-me-downs from him. We had to buy all these clothes, but of course she only got to wear them for a month, you know? And so I called a local March of Dimes chapter. They didn't need it, but I said, Hey, do you know any other organizations or individuals I can reach out to who might be able to house these? And then they led me to a more private outlet. And that took 10 minutes. I think it's a pretty low lift and it's a good feeling. So I'm thinking back to my family's Christmas last year. Last year was a very light Christmas in my house. I remember my husband and I, we, you know, after the kids went to bed, we put the gifts under the tree and I had a feeling, a sinking feeling in my gut of, oh my goodness, The kids are going to be so disappointed. There's hardly anything under the tree. I'm the worst mom. What am I doing? I'm ruining their childhoods. All All the mom guilt was in full force. However, the opposite was true. Literally the opposite. My daughters, their ages eight and five, they couldn't have been happier despite the fact that the presents comparatively were light in quantity. I know your son is, I believe you said six. I'm wondering, does he have anything to say? Does he notice any difference between how holidays are celebrated in your home versus his friends' homes? Do you think he's left wanting at all? Because I do believe that for many parents, for all parents, no parent wants their child to be left wanting. So I'm curious, how does that look in your home? I love that question. I love that question. First and foremost, like, and I think back to my childhood and my parents were very giving in, in all the ways. And I think about the the few times where I was disappointed, where I was pretty sure I heard Santa Claus putting together a basketball hoop for me outside. And then I woke up and there was no basketball hoop outside. And you know what? Like I lived through it. I'm just fine. And also, you know, like maybe two years after that, like a very short amount of time after that, I realized how much work it would have been for Santa Claus to have to do that in the middle of the night. And I was glad that Santa Claus didn't do that in the middle of the night because Santa Claus needed some sleep. You know, you know, at some point when I finally realized what was going on, I was glad that it turned out the way that it did. And I'm not scarred for it. So, so I think about that first and foremost. So when it came to my son's birthday this year, I said, you have a choice. Either we can go on an adventure somewhere together as a family, or you can have a party. 
But if you have a party, the one thing is that, you know, we can do one present, but otherwise we're going to have everyone who attends bring a canned good to give away to uh, a kitchen, which is something I um, got from Christine Platt, who is Afro-minimalist. I don't want to share any ideas that are not mine. And he said, oh, I, I just want to go on an adventure. So first off, I gave him kind of an option. You can pick. And I will say that although the joy of opening a present is huge, we all know that kids, like, for the most part, will play some, with something really intensely for, like, 10 minutes or 10 days and then drop it. But the time spent with a parent or the family doing something is everything. And I know that that's a privilege, too, because not every parent can do that, whether well, there's just a myriad of reasons. Not every parent can do that. Um, but I will say that what we try to do instead is, you know, we do give him gifts, including library books that we just check out, wrap up. And, you know, by the time it's time for them to go back in two weeks, he doesn't care that they're going back. He gets a new batch. You know what I mean? And we just spend time together and it's great. It's great. He loves opening up a present, but he really likes making pancakes with his dad, you know, and, and at the end they're dancing around and acting like a fool to Christmas music with his mom. So at the end of the day, I feel like as long as you're giving the kids what they truly need, they're going to be all right. Well, I can't end this conversation, Whitney, without bringing it back around to us as gifters. So we've spent the majority of this conversation talking about establishing and upholding boundaries with our family. But I'm wondering, we're also gifters. So Do you have any thoughts on how everyone listening can be a more mindful gifter when we give to others this holiday season in ways that we're not giving more items, more junk, dare I say, that's just destined for the landfill? How can all of us be mindful givers? Well, obviously, it depends on the person and who you're gifting to, of course, so I don't want to make any kind of blanket statements, but what has worked for our family has been to give something that's meaningful, but um, usually perishable. So, for example, in our previous home, we had a beautiful grapevine, and with those grapes, we would make uh, preserves and jam, and so we would gift that for Christmas to people that we knew would actually enjoy it and eat it. Um, And for the people who maybe didn't really care so much about the jam, but I know like a good bottle of wine or, you know, or would love to take a canoe ride or something. We uh, gave experiences or items that we do either they could enjoy or for some reason, perhaps they weren't drinking for personal reasons or whatever. And we weren't aware of those at the time something that they could gift onward or take to an event that would mean that they wouldn't have to go to the store while running to an event, something that they could re-gift without guilt and hopefully with ease. Um, And obviously that's never the point. That's not what we want. You know, that's not the first intention, but knowing that it wasn't going to clutter up their home and be useless for them. So, you know, I think it's just what's going to bring someone joy knowing that it's a little bit of you that has a lot of them in mind and experiences are a really great way to do that and not to promote like one brand or another, but Airbnb experiences during the pandemic was so helpful because people couldn't leave their houses. And so they were doing all these experiences. And I feel like those are still really useful when it comes to gifting. They're really great. 
And so I just think it's what's not going to cause clutter, what's going to be flexible for somebody. And also just asking them, hey, I don't want to give you something that's going to clutter up your life, but I want to show you I love you. What would you like to do? I have some ideas, but what do you want? And just having that conversation with people it doesn't have to be a grand secret. That's exactly what a gift is, right? I want to show you I love you. And we don't necessarily need to show others that we love them with a physical gift. Isn't that giving at its most fundamental level, showing our love? So how can we do that without a gift? I will say, though, that, of course, you know, the holidays are for giving physical gifts. We as a culture need to normalize asking for what we want, asking what other people want, and being ready with an answer when somebody asks you that question. And so saying, oh, I don't want anything. Like, be ready with an answer. Because wouldn't you rather get something that you want or need than something that's going to, again, create the uh, landfill problem, the clutter problem, the mental overwhelm problem? One of the main issues with having boundaries around gifts, around mental space, around anything, any boundary anybody ever has, one of the obstacles is holding the boundary despite pushback. So I'm wondering how do you hold your gifting boundary despite pushback? I know perhaps a lot of people, they don't like perhaps the back and forth or the confrontation or the this and that. And so it's much easier than to just falter, <laughs> give in, let the boundary crumble. What do you do and what do you say to those listeners? I mean, there's people are going to be difficult no matter what, but I think that it really helps to have in your back pocket solutions at hand. I read somewhere, this is not for me and I can't remember who said it, um, but I remember a couple years ago reading someone's Instagram post that said, giving a gift is not the flex you think it is. And, and I think it's so important to think about that and then think about where someone, where someone is coming from. Like, why is it so important to them that they give you this gift? And just taking that second to try and get some clarity and then trying to like honor that in some way for them. So even if it's just like, hey, thank you so much for this. Can I get back to you about it? Taking space. The immediacy and the threat of confrontation makes people crumble, like you said. And so if it's just taking a beat, like, okay, I can see this is really important to you. So let me just think about it for a second and I'll shoot you a text or I'll call you back or the next time I see you, I'm going to have some sort of happy middle ground. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for time or don't be afraid to advocate for something that you, that you do want. That's something I'm working on in my personal life. I don't owe anybody an immediate response about anything about gifts, about anything. I can honor myself, take a beat, and respond when I've got my ducks in a row, and so can all of you listeners. So if you're in the middle of that, perhaps, confrontation, and you feel the need to crumble your gifting boundary, just take a beat. Say, I'm going to get back to you on this. You owe yourself that beat. <laughs> yes. And it's so hard to remember in a world where we're all so connected all the time and people expect immediacy. But I think it's healthy for us collectively, everybody. The minute somebody says to you, I need to take a beat, it's helpful to you too. Oh, I could do that too. You know, and I yeah. think it's really, it's healthy. So Whitney, tell us where we can find all of you and all of your goodness online. 
Yeah, thank you. So my blog is tinycanalcottage.com. It got a little sleepy for a while because we were moving and doing all the things, but um, I'm very excited about where that's going. So tinycanalcottage.com and then my handle on TikTok, Instagram, and Pinterest is at Whitney Lee Morris and Lee is L-E-I-G-H. Um, yeah, but I'm just so grateful to, to, you know, be introduced to your community and to enjoy it in return and learn from it in return. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 326. Be sure to stay tuned for Thursday's continuation of this boundaries conversation where we're talking about setting and holding personal boundaries during the holidays. I will see you then. Reach out if you need me. Take care.